back. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat! I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Man, can you, uh, do you ever identify with Charlie Brown where it feels like everything that you do just is a mess up after a mess up after a mess up and there's just anxiety that just fills you? Just... Just watching Charlie Brown kind of makes me a little bit anxious, if I'm being honest, because it's just, just, he just always falls into it. It's just always. And uh, you're going to see, this is a Charlie Brown-themed uh, Sunday, uh, just with some of the illustrations that, I, that we have today. But Charlie Brown struggled with really understanding what the true meaning of Christmas was, or what it is. And what we've been exploring is that the coming of Christmas signals the coming of Christ. And we call this the Advent season. And we've been talking about how when, when Jesus enters the picture, love enters the picture. Uh, joy enters the picture. And today we're talking about how peace is a part of the presence of Christ. And so when Jesus comes into the picture, he also ushers in peace. And one of my favorite Christmas passages that you hear probably over and over again is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, listen to these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the next verse kind of expounds on one of those titles in particular, the Prince of Peace. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Let that sink in for a second. The Prince of Peace ushers in peace that's not temporary or fleeting, but that knows no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the promise that the Prince of Peace is coming. That is exciting news, and it starts with the presence of Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know. Is this going to be like, you know how like the iPhone comes out with like version 1? version 2, version 3. Is this like a piece that really is enduring or do I need to wait for the real promise to arrive here? Is this a less than promise? You see, I think that sometimes what we experience in the world 
is what Charlie Brown has experienced throughout his life. He had friends, right? One of those friends was Lucy. And what Lucy was known for was doing what? The football. The football. She promised again and again, just come on, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball for you. You just come and kick it as far as you can. And what happened again and again? This. Right? He'd come up. He'd come to kick that ball. She'd pull it at the last second. And he'd go flying. And I think sometimes we wonder if God's peace is like that. Is it, can I really trust it? Can I really trust that he can bring me the kind of peace that I'm looking for? But Jesus talked to his own disciples and said this to his disciples. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is what he says to his own disciples. Listen, peace I leave with you. My peace I'm giving to you. It's not a fleeting peace. It's not a temporary peace. It's a peace you can count on. And I just wonder if some of his disciples looked at each other and go, how does Jesus define peace? Because when the disciples were with Jesus, here's some of the things that they endured. Near shipwrecks, angry mobs, constant criticism. They had little rest, little food. They were sometimes invited to dinner parties, but usually with angry people. They had close encounters with the demon-possessed and other shady characters. And even after Jesus left, was buried, died, resurrected, and then ascended to heaven, think about it. The people who followed after Jesus, did things change a whole lot? No, it wasn't just near shipwrecks. There were actual shipwrecks. There weren't just angry mobs that were pressing in on the disciples and the followers of Jesus. No, these were people that picked up stones and killed them. Constant criticism. They went before trials and councils again and again. They had little rest, little food. They weren't invited to dinner parties anymore. They were invited to stay at their homes under house arrest. And the close encounters with the demon-possessed and uh, sick and the downtrodden, they just continued on and on and on. Yet Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You see, whether Jesus is in the picture or not, these things happen in life. And this isn't proof that Jesus doesn't exist or that Jesus, uh, his peace doesn't exist. But it's more proof of the reality that we need something bigger than ourselves to walk through the challenges of life. And the gift of God's peace is found in Jesus. Jesus warned his disciples. He wasn't pulling the football out from, uh, from them so they could like, go flying by in despair. Look what he says. He warns them. He says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. That is so important because what's going to carry them through is their belief in God's word. The belief in the words that Jesus had spoken to them, his whole ministry. And what we're going to see today when we're going through, we haven't even gotten into our passage of scripture yet, but if you would take your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 17. 
John chapter 17, Jesus is seeing, like, in his near future, the cross. Like, that's, the cross is in the backdrop of this entire scene, where Jesus is praying to God and for his disciples. So, what's amazing, though, is how Jesus starts off his prayer. Listen to these words. In John chapter 17, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Here's the prayer. Father, the hour has come. He sees the cross. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. There's this relationship and this dynamic between God the Father and God the Son that we have to catch, that we cannot miss this Christmas season. Because it is the foundation of our belief that the Father is bringing glory down to His Son and that the Son, by His actions, is returning glory back to the Father. Okay? He repeats this again and again. It says, since you have given Him, talking about Jesus, over all, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why is Jesus talking about this? Because the way that Jesus glorifies the Father is by doing the work that he gave him to do. And that is to provide eternal life for all who would believe. God bestowed his glory upon him, and the way that Jesus was going to return that glory back to him was not just by being a really good person, but by reconciling something that had been broken. By taking relationship where there was no peace and restoring peace to it. The relationship between you and I and God the Father. That's what he came to do. His goal, his purpose in life was to make known the one true God and to make himself known whom he had sent. Listen to this. He says, he repeats back, he goes, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, this is super important, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The author of this gospel, John, repeats this idea of the word being with God from the beginning because he's equating the presence of God and the word as being one, one and the same. He's saying, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Does this sound familiar? John 1.1 talks about, in the beginning was the Word, talking about himself, Jesus. And the Word was what? Was with God. And the Word was God. Right? So, if that's true, and the Father is glorifying the Son, and the Son is returning that glory back to Him, what we can what we know for sure is that this is true about the Prince of Peace. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. He glorifies Him by how He accomplished the work that the Father gave Him to do. And now Father, the Father is glorifying Him. How? By giving Him His presence. The presence of God is synonymous with the glory of God. And if Jesus has that glory... And we have Jesus. Guess what? The glory of God extends to us. The peace of God extends to us. How did Jesus pray with such confidence and live with such deliberateness 
as he went throughout his ministry because he had the peace of God, he had the glory of God with him all the time and he was able to walk in that confidently. He didn't waver. He wasn't Charlie Brown going, oh, I wish I knew what I was supposed to do. He knew the purposes that God had set for him. But Jesus is leaving his disciples and he's concerned for his disciples that they would have the same kind of peace that he had as he walked out his mission in life. And so here's what we need to understand. Is that when we trust in Jesus, remember in John 14, he said, I'm telling you this so that when I leave, when all these things are accomplished, what? You might believe. And when we trust in Jesus, we unwrap the gift of peace in our purpose, in what we prioritize, and in our relationships, how we pass along that word of truth to others. This is how peace is actually unwrapped and enjoyed. You know, you don't get a gift and look at it and go, man, that is nice. I'm never going to touch that again. You might do that, but the person who gave you that gift isn't going to be very appreciative of your enjoyment level of it. But a lot of times what we do is we say we want peace, but we only want a certain portion of peace. Like, I want peace for myself. I want internal peace. I want to to know that everything is good in my life, and I want to enjoy that for me. Ken Sandy, who wrote uh, the book The Peacemaker, says this. He says, there are three dimensions to the peace that God offers to us through Christ. Peace with God peace with one another, and peace within ourselves. Many people care little about their relationship with God and with, the other, and with other people, but they still want peace within themselves. As you will see, it is impossible to know genuine internal peace unless you also pursue peace with God and others. Let that just soak in for a minute. Those are heavy words. Because I think a lot of times we do try and seek internal peace. You may even be here because you're just like, man, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get from, you know, Monday through Saturday. And I just need like a charge for myself. And part of it is true that you'll get that as you pursue your relationship with God. But if you're just pursuing internal peace, you're going to see that that kind of peace is lacking. You see, the world offers that kind of peace. A peace that can get you through one you know, trouble to the next. But it's not an enduring, lifelong peace that God provides. Jesus goes on, he says, I have manifested your name. He's talking to the Father. This whole section of chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus has. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Do you remember? He says, after I have left, I have done, said all these things so that you might believe. In John chapter 6, verse 68, the disciple says, your words are the key to eternal life. Jesus is saying to the Father, I have given them my, wor- my words and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. 
Jesus is saying, these people, these disciples, these followers of mine have received your word. And what I'm asking for is that your glory be extended to them. That they might know that the peace of God is there in their life no matter what comes. No matter what they face. So what does the peace of God look like? Again, it, it means it gives us purpose. It helps us set priorities that are different, and it compels us to pass along peace that maybe we didn't have uh, to share with others before. Let's look at this first section. In verses 10 and 11, peace gives purpose. It says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Just like that whole thing in section uh, verses 1 through 5, where God gives his glory to the Son, and the Son returns that glory back to the Father. Now Jesus is saying, now my people, the people who follow after me, they show that they're with me because I am glorified in them. The purpose that you and I have as followers of Jesus when we receive his peace is to have a purpose that's beyond living for ourselves and instead living for the things that God cares about, that Jesus cares about. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. Those are the things that God cares about. And he's glorified in us as we live that out. We, are, we glorify him by how we live that out. But Jesus recognizes a pull. A pull that we all have. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Jesus is coming back to the Father and now he's saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Other translations may say, uh, protect them. Do you kind of see the care that Jesus has in this prayer? He says, keep them, protect them. I know what's coming. I'm leaving the world. They're staying in the world and they are going to be up against it. They are going to be tempted to waver and to be shaken. But my prayer is that my presence, your glory, would remain with them. Keep them. Protect them. That they may be one even as we are one. You see, peace gives purpose in this way that we are challenged to pursue unity that reflects, we're going to talk about this later, reflects the unity that's found between God the Father and God the Son. Our purpose is to live confidently knowing that we are right with God, that He's going to keep us no matter what. He's going to protect us no matter what. And we are not alone. Our purpose is to live out a lifestyle that Jesus lived that where He offers peace to a world that he knows needs peace. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to offer hope to a world that needs hope. We're going to talk about that next week. And peace helps us to set priorities because there is this tug of war that's going on between the word and the world. He says, I have given them your word. The Word is what they've believed. The Word is what they've trusted in. This is what sets them apart. This is what gives them peace. But, he says, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but, they, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do you see the tension 
the pull that's, that Jesus identifies between those who would follow His Word and those who are in the world? You see, our purpose is that we remain steadfast in Him, that we remain on purpose with Him. But the only way that we can really do that in all peace is knowing that we need to set priorities that are in alignment with the Father and the Son and not the world. And that is really hard. It's really hard when we face challenges in life not to pursue our own interests, but the interests of those who maybe we're at odds with. It's really easy to get stuck on things that we have preferences over, even within the church. I mean, not that the church has... We don't all have, like, special interests that we have. Do we? Do we? I mean, I'm sure we do. There's... The, the music's too loud. I don't know if I, I like the name change that we had. I, multi-site? What is this? Can we just be about this? The world would say, yes, pursue what makes you feel happy. And the Word says, lay your life down for the sake of another. That is a different priority. That is different. And when we put our lives in alignment with what His Word says, this is what He says is needed. In verse 17, He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. This distinctive, when we prioritize what the Word says, it sets us apart. That's what sanctify means. It means that we are to be set apart for His purpose. And when we prioritize the things that He is about, that means that sometimes we talk different than the world talks. It sometimes means that we act a different way than the world would act. And Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are called to engage differently, just like Jesus engaged differently. He was unlike. People would say again and again after Jesus taught, I've, we've never heard someone teach like this. We've never heard someone live like this or prioritize things. When, when people uh, criticize Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, Jesus said, you know what? The Sabbath, there's a different priority that you have than I have. My job is to do the will of the one who sent me. Your job is to try and keep rules that make, you, make yourself feel safe. That's a different priority. Living safe and living faithfully, risking it all for God. That's a different priority. Peace helps us set priorities. It sets us apart by His Word. It helps us to overcome the pain, the inconvenience, the trouble, the self, selfish things that we want to do on our own that exist in the world. But notice, I didn't say it keeps you from those things. It doesn't say Jesus' peace helps us to be separate from pain or inconvenience or trouble. It helps us to endure those things. It helps us to overcome those things. Ken Sandy again says this. This is a quote I came across, and I'm just like, wow, I love it. This is one of my favorite quotes ever now. It says, conflict always provides an opportunity to glorify God. That is to bring Him praise and honor. Ready? Priorities. Right here. By showing who he is, his character, what he is like, what uh, matters to him, 
and what he is doing. How does, his, how, do, how, do, how does God act on the things that he prioritizes? Think about this prayer. Jesus is facing an amazing conflict right now. He sees that he's going to go to the cross, a, a, a punishment that he doesn't deserve for people who don't like him. But Jesus is prioritizing something bigger than his own self-interest. He went to the cross anyway because he lived a purpose-filled life that was focused on God and it led him to the cross, a sacrificial way of life. You see, the conflict that he was facing in that moment was really an opportunity to display to the world who he is, what he is like, and what he is doing. And he is in the people-saving business. And for that, we have peace. For that type of lifestyle, the world can have peace. They can see peace in you and they can experience peace through you and they can have peace themselves because they can be introduced to a person that was just like God. He was God. He was Jesus. You can be that introduction. And that's what peace does. It compels us to pass along this word of truth that we've accepted, that we've heard. Look at verses 19 through 26 here. It says, For their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He shifts his prayer in this moment no longer just to his disciples. And this is like, when I, I, you know how there's like things that happen in life and you remember the exact place that you were in when you found out about like a certain something or a world event that happens. Well, when I read this next verse, this verse right here, I remember where I was and what I felt like. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Up to this point, he, had, he starts his prayer by praying for himself, saying, God, this is the relationship that we have. And then he passes that along to his disciples. And now in this section of scripture, do you know who he's praying for? You and me. He prays for you and me. But specifically, he's praying for the Word. You see, the Word is always the focus in the Gospel of John. But his concern for the Word in this section of Scripture is that the Word would be passed along, not just to his disciples, but to his spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, which include me and you. And that is amazing to me, that the peace isn't meant to just be kept to ourselves, but to be shared to other people. Because it gives people a new purpose. It helps them set priorities that are different from the world, and it gives them life. And that's what Jesus was concerned about. That they might be able to have... Do you remember in the first section, what was Jesus' purpose in verses 2 and 3? That people might know the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. He is concerned about the Word passing to you and to me. Because in it holds the gift of life. The key to eternal life, like John 6, 68 says. But the way that it's passed along is interesting. Look at Jesus' thought process. He, he shifts. He's praying for the world, 
for you and me to hear the word of God. And the way that they're going to hear it is through also the lives of his disciples. That they may also be one just as you, Father, are me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the, word may be, uh, the world may believe that you have sent me. We should remember John 15 when we see this word, be. In John 15, he talks about the importance of abiding, being with the Father. And what he's saying is we need to have that kind of unity, that kind of peace among one another. He's praying for those who have heard the word and that they would receive the word and that it would cause such peace that people are bonded together. Whenever the church is about doing something for the kingdom of God, it is so important that we remember this part of the prayer. When we were planting a church uh, back in Knoxville, uh, where Cal and I uh, lived for a while, me and a few guys, when we were just getting started in that process, we read this and we said, you know, it is so important that we understand that when we are pursuing the work of God, that we lay aside our own preferences, our own priorities, and instead be unified. So we had this phrase that we just said, unity over preference. And whenever we kind of felt ourselves, you know, digging our heels in on a certain topic or something, if it wasn't a salvific issue, we would just say, unity over preference. Unity over preference. Because if we are about wanting to spread the gospel to the communities that we're in, one person, one community at a time, those communities and those people are going to be watching. And if we get so fixated on our own preferences and lose the heart of pursuing God and displaying God for all to see, people will see right through what it is that we're about. The world may believe that you have sent me based on how there is peace that lives within us, which means we need to speak truth and the word of truth to one another because that's what our peace is centered around. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. We mirror the unity and the peace that exists between God the Father and God the Son. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. We display the peace that we have in Jesus to the world around us. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you remember what we said earlier, that Jesus' presence can be equated with the glory of God? Jesus' desires that we pass along the word of truth so that they might experience the glory of God, that his glory would be seen by the world because that's where peace can be found. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Our purpose, our priority should be passing along the word of truth and the peace that can be found there in Jesus. 
And so here's the question that I have for you. Do you have the peace of Jesus' presence in your life? Does it show up by how you go about your life, your purpose and your priorities, and by how you intentionally pass along the truth of Jesus to others? Thankfully, thankfully, Charlie Brown didn't have a bunch of Lucy's in his life. He also had a Linus. And when Linus heard Charlie Brown exclaim, can anyone tell me the real meaning of Christmas? This is what Linus said. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I love Linus's mic drop, you know? That's, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Maybe you're not sure that you have the peace of knowing Jesus in your life, but like Linus said, like what Scripture says, on peace, peace on earth, right? On whom his favor rests. If you'd like to take that next step, take out your connection card, let us know that you want to, you want to take that step. Secondly, it is hard work to make peace and unity a priority. So would you take that step? Consider taking that step. You want to work hard for the sake of unity in your relationships, to promote peace in your home, in your work, maybe in the places that you play, uh, to intentionally share that peace with others. And that leads to the last next step, is that you would invite someone. Rick already challenged you to grab one of those business cards. Challenge, I'd love to challenge you just to consider inviting somebody to one of those Christmas Eve services. Um, but let's consider how the peace of God really uh, sets you on purpose and challenges you to prioritize the things that, that God cares about.